Well, good evening, folk. Welcome once again to a, a midweek message, uh, just a time of Bible study. And uh, I do want to thank you again for just taking time and uh, regularly meeting and just sharing uh, in this study, currently working just through the book of Jonah and uh, a really challenging book that uh, I believe can be, uh, is quite helpful to us in our, in our walk of faith. So I want to pray and, and then read uh, the passage and then we're going to just deal with two two lessons tonight that I believe we can extract from this passage. Uh, God challenging us and, and speak to, speaking to us regarding our own walk uh, with Him. So let's pray together and really want to pray tonight, Lord, for the work of Your Spirit in just searching our hearts. Lord, it can be so easy that we neglect to look inward and be more concerned about things that are happening uh, removed from us. But I do pray that as we come to the Word tonight, Lord, that Your Word would search our hearts, Your Spirit using the Word would search our hearts, leading us, Lord, in our in our walk with You. And may we, Lord, be those who really seek to uh, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. May we be those, Lord, who mature constantly, uh, growing in our faith and walk with you. And so thank you for this passage tonight, for the opportunity we have. Thank you for the technology. And do pray that this uh, would be without any technical uh, difficulty tonight. And Lord, that you would be among us and with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I do want to turn to the book of Jonah and uh, going to read, in fact, the entire chapter 1. So if you have your Bible, do have your Bible open, follow with me. And then later on, as we work through some of the passage, looking at something of the unfolding of the events with Jonah and God's dealings with him, that we look and see, well, how does that apply to me? How does that apply to you in the day and age that we are living? So just then from the very first verse, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for the evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose and to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, went down into it to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship. He had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give you a, th- a thought to us that we may not perish. Verse 7. They said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, 
What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the, uh, uh, therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us the in, on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done it, done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea. The sea ceased from its raging. And the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And I'm going to read verse 17 as well. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the body, in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Well, I want to begin this evening, and you will notice the title of this particular study I've called A Heart Examination. And even in the prayer I prayed at the beginning, just asking the Lord to search our hearts, to search my own heart. And the reason I've done that is because of what I want to share in the opening comments um, of this introduction tonight. Uh, God makes a rather hard diagnosis, a difficult diagnosis about the nature of the human heart. Now, it's one thing to speak about the human heart, but I want to personalize that because he is saying that about your heart and he's saying that about my heart. And, and he says this in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Now, that's a frightening diagnosis. It's a scary, it's a scary reality of what God is saying about the condition of our hearts, the condition of our sinful nature, this terrible, terrible condition of depravity that we suffer with. Now, what do you, what do you think about that assessment? In our day and age, many people will not agree. Many people will say, no, no, the, the heart of man is basically good. And, and there isn't an acceptance or an acknowledgement of this truth statement, this analysis that God is making. So, so what do you think? Is, as, as you look at your own heart, as you look back in your own life, as you look around you in the world, is, is it a fair assessment to say that the heart is deceitful above all things? Is it exaggerated? Is it something that is true, has been perhaps in some past time true of your heart condition? Perhaps to go to another example, I want us to consider, do you recognize that sometimes, even as one who is a believer, if you are a believer yet tonight in, in seeking to walk with God, seeking to keep your eyes on Jesus, those remaining marks of sin, the remaining heart disease can still affect you. And, and that, like David, and, and I want to use the well-known example of David when he was confronted uh, by Nathan. Remember in 2 Samuel chapter 12, and I'm going to read the passage and make some comments as we move through it. 2 Samuel chapter 12, uh, verse 1 uh, to 7. The Lord, it's the Lord who sent Nathan 
to David. When he came to him, he said, tells him the story. Remember the little parable he told of there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank his cup and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. Now here's the point, the point that I'm wanting to make and, and ask whether this could be true of you at any given time. Uh, has it been true of you? I'm asking myself. And I must acknowledge that there, there are times, there have been times where this is true of me. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. And the very difficult next sentence really brings David down to earth, cuts him down to size, it humbles him, brings him to a place of really being ashamed. And Nathan said to David, you are the man. Isn't that terrible? David David was so quick to jump to conclusions about others, but had lived these days after what he'd done to Bathsheba and her husband, oblivious, oblivious of his own sin, oblivious that he in fact was deceiving himself, that he was living in self-deceit. And so a confession, having to live with myself, I try to be honest with myself as much as I can. And also now having spent almost 30 years in full-time ministry, lots of people that I've encountered, lots of people that I've observed and walked a road with, It's led me to believe that courageous self-knowledge is not an easy thing. I shy away from it, and I think most of us shy away from accurately assessing the condition of our hearts. It's easier, it's far easier for us to blame others. It's easier to think bad things about other people and think of ourselves as always right. We, we don't like to. We, we seldom spend time, and can I say painstaking time, or going through a painstaking process of self-examination. Really looking honestly, what is it that I'm thinking? What are my motives? And why am I doing what I'm doing? And, and taking the, the trouble in self-discovery. Now, of course, we did need to come to this passage. And the question is, what about Jonah? What about Jonah? (laughs) Was he doing any heart and soul searching at this particular time of of his life? 
uh, in this process of, of God having spoken to him, um, God very clearly giving him instructions on, on what he ought to do to go to Nineveh to preach to them. And, 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 and is he taking a few minutes? Is he taking a day, an hour to do some fasting and praying and, and, and asking, Lord, what is it? What is my heart really like? Did he do anything in this process of running from God? after hearing the word of the Lord. Now, of course, it's hard for us to know because we only know that which is written. It's hard for us to know exactly what he did do and what he didn't do. We do know because later on in the passage in the book, he acknowledged that part of his thinking, part of his rationale was that he knew God to be gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. And You can read that in chapter 4. And verse 2. So knowing that about God and, and still not being willing to do what God wanted him to do and instead acting in defiance of God, it can't be described as anything else other than defiance. He was not walking in fellowship with God. We need to conclude, we need to see that his heart had become hard, that he had heart trouble. He was quite happy for the Ninevites to go to hell. His actions demonstrate that kind of attitude. He did not want God to show grace to these people. Like Jonah, we also need to be careful that our hard hearts is not something that we are not aware of. We must be careful not to look down our noses at Jonah, criticize him for his actions. Instead, what I want us to do tonight is to learn from Jonah and see what it is that God has to say about our potential or present blind spots and hard hearts. And so I want to begin, and the first uh, point is a question that I want to ask. And the question is, is it possible that your current Comfort is as a result of a false sense of security. Now, what I mean by current comfort is that is your current life very easy and smooth and life is not difficult in any way? And the question I'm wanting to really get us to think about tonight is can we always assume, very important question, can we always assume that when everything goes right, that this is an indication of God's favor and blessing. Now think about that, and I'm going to look at it in Jonah's life and see whether we can answer the question uh, and be a little bit more accurate in our assessment. Well, what do we know about Jonah? Jonah ran from God. His heart, heart was hard. He was being disobedient. He was acting in defiance of God. And his running from God, we know, was a blatant act of disobedience. And this is what I want you to note. At least for a season, it seems that his life is going very well, that things are going so, so easily and, and everything seems to be falling into place. Just to give you a little bit of the detail as we go back to this passage. He walked the 60 miles from Gath Hefer to the port of Joppa. God let him go. When he got to the port, 
he finds conveniently there's a ship in the harbor. Easily found, easily accessed. There was the added bonus that the ship was going to just where he wanted to go. Uh, he uh, opposite, in fact, in the direction to where God wanted him to go. It was just what he needed at the right time, at the right place, uh, taking him to exactly where he wanted to be. He paid the fare, meaning he must have had enough money. Again, things are going so smoothly for him. And then as the ship sailed away, we read that he found a quiet corner below deck and he fell into a deep and peaceful sleep. Now my point, and I've tried to labor the point a little bit there, is, is things are really going smooth for Jonah. Things are, are easy. The, the, the road is straight. The, 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 there aren't any difficulties confronting him. And so as far as he was concerned at that particular time, all is well. His mind was at ease. He must have been thinking before he fell asleep that the escape had succeeded. Perhaps in our terminology, we would say that all the pieces of the puzzle seem to be fitting together so well. And and it could be so easy for anyone to reason and conclude that all of this must have been providential provision. Everything provided, everything falling into the place, uh, the timing, the circumstances, the resources, everything provided. And so the temptation is sometimes in our lives when everything is just so perfect, when everything is going so well and so right, we immediately and unthinkingly conclude God must be in it. This must be the providential hand of God. Well, we know it's not when we look at the life of, Jos- uh, of, of Jonah. It, it's not true. The, the, this is not what God wants. This is not God providing all that he needs for his good and for the good of the kingdom and for, the, uh, for pleasing the will of God. Maybe to think of a different analogy, the attitude of Jonah thinking all is well could be likened to the attitude of a criminal who thinks he has eluded the hand of the law, that he'll get away with a crime forever. No. So often people, we people, sin and refuse to examine our hearts and we comfort ourselves in the total illogical thought that since God has not punished us thus far, He's not going to punish us at all. That there won't be any discipline, that there won't be any reprimand, that there won't be any consequence, adverse consequence, that there won't be any bringing to account, that justice will not be served. And and so there's a delusion. There's a delusion in our thinking. And so the, the very, very important point I would like to impress upon your hearts here tonight is that circumstances on their own are not an indication of the favor and the blessing of God. To think about that for a minute. How many, how many people who are in wonderful circumstantial circumstances are living lives that are far from God, distant from God, in rebellion to God, and are not going to, they, they are going to face the justice of God. And so there is something more that we need, something more specific than just circumstances. And what is it that Jonah had? 
What is it that should have led him in the right direction? What what is it that should have that, that should have made him realize, hang on, I'm catching a boat and all is going well and I've got the fare and I've got on time and it's going to where I want to be. But is this what God wants? Of course it was not what God wants. He knew God had spoken clearly. And if you go back to the very first uh, verse of chapter 1, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. God had revealed his will. And so one always, always has to, we, we have to use the word as that which governs and dictates and determines whether this is the will of God or isn't the will of God, whether we are, are, are needing to examine our hearts, whether we are, are uh, whether we are able and willing to to consider the blind spots that that can so easily delude us. There's that verse again, one of these verses that I often uh, repeat, where Jesus warned the religious people. Uh, that were living in a deluded state of mind in Matthew chapter 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now listen to this. Only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many, many miracles? No. It's, it's, it's submission to the will of God that is pleasing to God. And simply because things in your life seemingly are going well, or perhaps even seemingly things are going well in a particular ministry, it does not mean that all is well with God. It's so easy to be deluded into a false sense of well-being, a false sense of of security. So, so there is a warning yet tonight. There is a warning in this particular passage. It's a warning from God. And, and so the, the warning needs to be received. Lord, how can, how can I take this warning and apply it in my life? How can I be more brutally honest to discover the diagnosis of, of a hard heart or a blind spot or blind spots that may be prevalent in my life? And, and I think it's a good question to ask. Ask myself the question. Is it just possible that your current comfort is a result of a false sense of security? Have you brought in the word of God? And we have not just the word of the Lord that comes on a particular occasion. We have all of the word of God in the canon of scripture. We have Genesis through to the end of Malachi, the Old Testament. We have Matthew right through to the end of the New Testament, the book of Revelation. We can read this book. We can study this book. We can hear this book being taught and, and this book being preached and asking ourselves, Lord, am I in submission to your will? Am I in submission to your word? Am I conforming to your word? See, God said to Jonah very clearly, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. He went in the opposite direction. He ignored the word of God. Doing that because his heart was not right with God. And so just picking up on a couple of uh, examples, I thought very uh, specific and explicit uh, words that come to us in the Bible uh, today and, and down through the generations, and I thought I'd pick the family to begin with. Husband, love your wife as Christ loved the church. 
well, husband, are you loving your wife sacrificially for her benefit, for her for her uh, godly benefit, not just for her preferences and likes and dislikes, but for that which is going to be good for her spiritual growth and well-being? Are you loving her sacrificially in that way to your own cost? A wife submitting to your husband as to the Lord. Or children, younger people among us, obey your parents in the Lord. And perhaps even just to go to a broader context, we know that the scripture teaches us, slander no one. Show true humility toward all men. Be on your guard against all greed. Many, many, there's so many issues that the word of God lays out for us that we're able to, 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 to reflect on and to examine our lives and to see, but hang on, am I, am I willingly and obediently submitting to God's word? You see, it's only the sword of the word wielded by the Spirit of God that can penetrate dark and deceived hearts. Well, that's the first lesson, the first challenge I wanted to bring tonight, but I want to move on now and see that, yes, the comfort you may feel in your sins may be short-lived. This brings us to another question, another question I want to ask tonight. Is it possible that your current discomfort is a result of God's discipline. Just think about that question tonight. In time, things suddenly changed for Jonah. There was the season where everything seemed to be easy. Everything seemed to be falling into place. Every puzzle piece was easily located to fit next to another puzzle piece. But then all of a sudden, these comfortable circumstances are instantly changed to rather unpleasant, life-threatening times. What's going on? Well, who is behind this difficult stuff going on in Jonah's life? Now, earlier on, those of you who have been following study in Exodus, uh, an earlier generation of Egyptian magicians Uh, saw who was behind the crisis in Egypt and the plagues they correctly concluded were in Exodus chapter 8 verse 19, the finger of God. And the passage, our passage in Jonah confirms very clearly, very definitely, very explicitly that God is responsible for his change of circumstances. It was God. It wasn't just a a coincidental storm that happened to come about because of uh, climate change or some kind of climatic condition change. No. Have a look at verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. Such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. God is clearly responsible for bringing about the discomfort in Jonah's life. And then what, what happens from there? Well, from being... Uh, favorable uh, circumstances now take a dramatic swing and and, and they're difficult and they're hard and and we see here that the Lord is even controlling the weather for his own purposes and we know of course from the New Testament the miracles that Jesus performed and uh, uh, the winds and the waves obey him so don't don't underestimate the power and the involvement of God uh, in the world around us and in fact even in our own lives This is a bad storm. We could say it's an exceptionally bad storm. Verse 5. 
the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. Now they tried to desperate they tried desperately to save themselves and, and, and the ship and, and they throw off in verse five, we read the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. So this this was not great. This was a terrible and, and life threatening situation. Now nothing seems to work to relieve the crisis. We can we we continue to read on in the passage. The captain appeals to Jonah to call on his God in verse six. And then they uh, move on to a process of casting lots in verse 7 and getting to the place of establishing that Jonah is the cause of the trouble. And yet, we read in verse 10, the sea was getting rougher and rougher and the life-threatening circumstances continue. And in fact, they continue all the way uh, until Jonah is thrown overboard and is swallowed into the belly of a fish. Now, the life-threatening situation uh, continues until the purpose and intention of God is realized. What, what are we going to see this in a, in a study down the line in chapter 2. When Jonah acknowledges his sin and he turns uh, back to God, he turns to God, it's then that the fish, and it's not the fish just because he has a nauseous feeling, it is because God commands the fish, that the fish commanded by God vomited Jonah onto dry ground. Verse 10. Now here's the point. Here's the lesson and challenge for us. You may be going through some current discomforts, and I may be going through some current difficulties. If so, you must ask, are these discomforts a result as a result of God's discipline. Now, I want to make something very, very clear. Not every discomfort, whether it be an illness, whether it be a struggle of uh, economics, whether it be a struggle of employment, uh, relational difficulty, not every difficulty is as a result of God's discipline. However, the point that I'm trying to convey to you tonight, it, it, it may be, it may be, it can be, it doesn't have to be, but it can be, it may be as, as a result of God's discipline. Because God is at work. God is intimately at work. God is among us and, and, and is, is seeking to bring about in every one of his sheep alignment with his purposes and his will for your life. And that's not just Old Testament uh, lesson that we're bringing out tonight. Hebrews chapter 12 uh, very clearly teaches verse 5 to 7 and verse 11. And you have, have forgotten that the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves. Can I read that again? The Lord disciplines those he loves. And he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. So, so, so the writer to the Hebrews is saying to us over here, when you encounter hardship, you need to stand back, you need to be thinking, you need to be examining, searching your heart, searching your soul, searching your life. Is there something in my life where I am disobedient to God? Where I am being defiant to God? Where I'm outside of the will of God? God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? No discipline seems pleasant at the time, 
but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Now, getting back to our passage, it really does appear that Jonah has been trained by the discomfort, by the discipline, by, by being thrown overboard because of the storm, by being stuck in the belly of a fish for, for three days. And, and, and so the, the, the important thing is, what do you do with, with the challenge when you discover that in your life there is a need for repentance? There is a need for change. What is your response? It is a good thing for you and me to ask the question, is our loving Father in heaven disciplining us? Is he disciplining you? Is he disciplining me in a given set of circumstances? Is his finger pointing at you? Now this is very, very important. Is his finger pointing at you to bring about his redemptive purpose to bring you back on track to bring you back in moving in the right direction toward God and the will of God rather than away from God against the will of God and so the application here is is much the same as the above the only sure way of knowing how to line up your life with God is to put it alongside of the scriptures. That's the word that we have. The passage in Hebrews confirms that God disciplines us for our good. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 10. That we may share in his holiness. Now before I, I just conclude. I do want to add one or two comments. Just so that I'm not misunderstood. Uh, I am speaking directly to believers tonight. Tonight. And I'm speaking to you as, as one who is undergoing a process of sanctification. Uh, God is at work in you. Uh, you ought to be at work also in cooperation with God, in submission to God, in your life being transformed more and more into the likeness of Jesus. So I'm not speaking about conforming to the will of God for the sake of uh, being accepted by God and this being your salvation by works. No, we understand very clearly at Central Baptist Church that salvation is by grace and Jesus imputes his perfect righteousness to every believer so that when God looks upon us objectively, he declares us to be not guilty. We stand before him not because of ourselves uh, forgiven. We stand before him accepted because of Jesus. But that's the objective justification. There is, on the other side of the coin, the subjective sanctification. And that's where discipline and, and correction and rebuke takes place. God, if you like, panel beating us or ironing the wrinkles in this, and, and removing the spots out of our lives. And so my, my point as I conclude this message tonight, it's very necessary for any one of us, every one of us, to examine our hearts. And the reason we ought to examine our hearts is because the heart is deceitful. We, we so easily deceive ourselves. We so easily don't recognize that there is a need for further sanctification, that there is a need for change. We can't assume 
all is always well with the soul. We need to ask these two piercing questions regularly and honestly that I've asked tonight. Are the current comforts of your life as a result of a false sense of security? Lexidaisically going along blissfully outside of the will of God. Second question. Are the current discomforts in your life as a result of God's discipline? And again, Lord, as we conclude the study tonight, it is a study that is challenging. And Lord, it ought to be challenging to any one of us because none of us has arrived. We struggle, the, the flesh and the spirit, uh, at war with each other. And may we be those, Lord, who constantly seek to walk in the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit, constantly, Lord, examining our lives in the light of your Word, repenting of sin and turning to Jesus for forgiveness and grace. So thank you, Lord, for your love for us. Thank you that you do treat us, that we are your children, sons and daughters of the living God, that we can turn to you and know that you are our Father, the best Father in heaven. As we come in the confidence on the basis of the work of Jesus. Amen. Now there are some questions that uh, I have prepared. If anyone uh, is meeting in a group, and I've kept them quite short tonight, and uh, really want you to grapple with these issues that I've tried to present to you tonight. Does an easy and trouble-free life mean you're in God's will? Should you consider the difficulties you face as discipline from the hand of God? Well, debate that amongst yourselves, but remember, use the scripture as the basis of your argument. And then, how do we know God's will? And then lastly, what is the most accurate way to examine your heart before God. Do you trust that the study has been of some value to you? And uh, God be with you. God bless you. Looking forward to us meeting together on the Lord's Day. So Lord, part us with your blessing now. May your grace, mercy, and peace be our portion as we pray this, Lord, in your name. Amen.